0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Etholytics Report podcast. I'm your host, Zane Kamar,
1: And I'm Matt Charles, and we're the managing directors over at Etholytics.com.
0: So in the 2018 midterm season, the Etholytics podcast and website as a whole had great success. And we got every Senate election result correct, except for one, which was Arizona. And our margins were spot on as well, including getting the famous Rick Scott Bill Nelson race within 0.1% margin. So to coincide with the relaunch of our website, we're very excited to bring the show back to listeners here and we're set up for the long haul and we're excited to get started on this season.
1: Yeah. Like Zane mentioned, com is the reason we're here. This site is going to be such a great resource for everyone. We're bringing data-based election analysis back to the people and we're just so fired up.
0: Yeah. And, you know, uh, quite frankly, you know, um, Polls have proven to be bunk the last few cycles, so um, Etholytics has really relied a lot more on modeling. And uh, our margins using modeling have shown to be much more accurate than mainstream polling has been. So uh, we typically like to go um, much more in that direction than uh, you know looking at what snapshot polls show.
1: Yeah, and you know, when you when you look at modeling as compared to polling, it's really important to realize that from a political campaign's perspective, they, they both have their uses, modeling and polling. Campaigns, they'll routinely use like an internal commission poll to drive fundraising numbers or to push a narrative out to the public. For example, if you see a special election that goes bad for one political party, you might see them drop some good looking internal polls the next day to the public to try and stave off the panic and, and drive the drive, the narrative that they want. Right. Um, but when campaigns or when political organizations, when they actually want an accurate look at how elections are are going to pan out, they almost always turn to modeling. Uh, and Zane, since you help supervise a lot of our modeling over on the website, do you want to give some insight into how that sausage is made over there?
0: Uh, Yeah, sure. So um, essentially, Matt, uh, the way we make our models is by using a combination of historical data, uh, the trends for that given state or district, uh, national trends like generic ballot polling, and then finally we do add some specific polling to that race for the model. And However, that polling that we add in to our model is adjusted for bias. So, you know, polls that are typically heavily Democrat or heavily Republican – uh, we iron that out so it doesn't mess with our modeling. Therefore, our models end up very accurate. And, you know, polls are simply really just more of a snapshot in time. So we're not going to predict an end result, you know, based on a CNN poll in August, for example. You know, we know that, historically speaking, certain states are going to swing in the final weeks uh, for one of the two parties. You know, we see that all the time. So um, – on that same topic, you know, let's kind of get into the midterms here. Um, you know, the, the political offseason, so to speak, it's it's been a wild shift from, you know, last November, Glenn Youngkin winning the Virginia gubernatorial race uh, by three, shocking everyone doing that, not just winning, but by a pretty healthy margin. Um, you know, to all the way now, we have the Dems the Democrats are racking up special special election wins um, a lot more recently, and it's kind of, you know, uh, throwing a monkey wrench into what everyone kind of thought was coming in for this midterm. So, you know, um, what does the path to the Senate majority look like for the Republicans? So, you know, from my perspective, the way I see the GOP being able to get a majority, you know, it starts with holding Wisconsin. Um, I think that'll happen. Uh, our, our site right now does show a fairly close race there. However, you know, I think we're probably going to pull that out if you're looking at it from a Republican perspective. And uh, the next step is you got to hold Pennsylvania and then flip one of either Nevada or Georgia. You know, some might say Arizona in there. Um, you know, from data we've been looking at, Arizona doesn't seem to be in the same realm as Nevada or Georgia. You can have your own take on that if you want. But right now, uh, that's kind of the case, The path I would see in my perspective. Um, I think Pennsylvania is slightly better for the Republicans right now than Nevada or Georgia. Um, you know, not by too much, but we're showing it uh, just a tad ahead of those two. And part of that is because – the you know our models are projecting how it's going to swing in the final week. You know you typically see a swing there towards one way or the other. So yeah, uh, and I'll just
1: I'll I'll just say I it, from my perspective, the Senate the control of the U.S. Senate comes down to five competitive races this cycle. Everything else is just noise. These five races are what will determine the final final um, outcome for control of the Senate, and those five states are Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Georgia, and Nevada. Whichever party wins three out of these five races will control the U.S. Senate. If you hear anyone tell you that any other race is crucial to the outcome of the uh, the midterms, ignore them. Tune them out. Yeah, As you know, far as the Senate goes, it's those five races, and that's what will decide things.
0: Yeah, you know, there, there was some speculation back, you know, a while back, in this cycle that New Hampshire was going to be in play. Um, I personally, I never really saw that happening. I don't know about you, Matt, but, um, it, you know, there was talk, but I, you know, it's definitely out of the question now. I don't think anyone on either side is seeing that as an option.
1: Yeah. And you'll see uh, Democrat operatives uh, in the same way talking about Florida. Um, but just, I mean, the bot, the bottom line is, you know, uh, Democrats are uh, trying to pick off those two states in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, and uh, Republicans are trying to flip Arizona, Nevada, and Georgia. Yeah. So, Zane, uh, you know, thinking about that, which which would you say is more likely to flip out of those those three states for Republicans?
0: Um, I, I would say Nevada, um, and the reason is because when you're looking at a midterm. Um, it's typically dominated more by college-educated voters, and Nevada has the fewest college-educated voters of either of those three states. So um, I think because of that, the GOP will have a better shot there. Um, you know, when you're looking at um, what our data shows, it um, seems to be right now Nevada is tacking a little bit better for GOP than either of those two states. Um, And then also, you know, we don't have any data to, you know, say this specifically, but I, you know, I just personally think Warnock is a very likable guy. That's Raphael, Raphael Warnock in Georgia. Democrat nominee for uh, Georgia Senate. Um, You know, you you saw them, uh, the the Republicans try to throw everything they could at him in 2021 and none of it really stuck. He still ended up winning by two. Um, You know he's a pastor, so he's used to speaking with people. He knows how to, you know, come across as a nice guy, cool hand. Uh, He's he's used to speaking to a lot of people. You know, I don't think Herschel Walker, Republican nominee, is is a remarkable improvement over Loeffler, who was his opponent in twenty twenty one. You know, and on on the other hand, in Nevada, you know, I see Cortez Masto. She hasn't really been tested as much as. you know, Warnock has. We just saw him uh, overcome a lot to win that seed a year ago. And uh, Cortez Master last ran in 2016, which seems like a lifetime ago now. And uh, Nevada since then has trended a lot more to the right. Georgia obviously hasn't. It's gone the opposite way. So while this midterm might be a few more points to the right this cycle than it was uh, the last time around, uh, I think Georgia might neutralize that by move by the fact that it's moved a few more points to the left, even over the last couple of years. So Nevada is not going to be neutralizing that because it hasn't been trending blue like Georgia. Probably, if anything, has been trending red. So I think it'll shift uh, with the cycle and, and, you know, Nevada, that is. And I think it'll therefore be more flippable in Georgia. So uh, what do you think about that, Matt? Do you have any comments on that?
1: Yeah, I'm going to go a little bit against the grain. Um, I'm going to say I think, I think you may not agree with me on this, but I view Arizona as the, the best pickup opportunity for Republicans this cycle, more so than Georgia or Nevada. Um, you look at how Democrats are hitting Herschel Walker in Georgia over the domestic violence stuff in his past as well as Nevada's just more generous voting laws that tend to favor Democrats. It makes Arizona Senate seem like just a more hospitable environment for Republican success uh, this cycle. The only thing that could be holding them back in Arizona is uh, Blake Masters seemingly just struggling with fundraising compared to the incumbent Mark Kelly. But anyway, the answer kind of got off track there. But I I would say Arizona is the most likely Republican uh, Senate flip this year. this cycle. Um, but Zane, let's say, uh, the Democrats do hang on to the Senate and Republicans can't flip any of those seats. Um, do you think that means Biden will be nominated again, or if the Democrats vice versa lose the Senate, where does that, where does that put Biden, uh, you know, in, in terms of this, this controversy of, of, uh, him while his approvals are so low?
0: Oh, yeah. You know, I I love the question uh, because 2024 is uh, such a fascinating topic where, you know, you might have uh, two and two former presidents or current presidents uh, facing each other. And then you might also have zero uh, presidents uh, running at all. So, you know, I I would say um, I thought this summer I was feeling pretty certain that Biden was not going to be the nominee. Um, You know, he was only getting 20 percent of his own party voting for him in primary polling, which is absolutely devastating for an incumbent president, which is why I was about to throw in the towel on him ever coming back. But now I'm not so sure uh, because the Democrats look like they may have turned the tide rack here. You know, the special elections and the generic ballot kind of have been rolling their way of late. Um, and I think that, that is making Biden more viable again. So I think if they come out and they do hold on to the Senate, I think it, I think it makes Biden uh, look like, you know, he at least did something so they can, he can claim, you know, he didn't lose the house and losing the Senate, you know, uh, the party will, I think, be a little more happy about him if they can hold the Senate. So, um, yeah, I, I, so that's what I would say uh, about that. Um, you know, I know you have a little bit of a differing opinion, um, I think, on Biden. So what, what are you seeing it as? Yeah, I'm just
1: being honest here. I don't see a scenario, and I never saw a scenario where Biden wasn't uh, the Democrat nominee for president in 2024. He'll, he'll be there. He's, he's a known commodity. He unites the Democratic Party. And I just don't see any momentum or any reason for them to turn on him, uh, especially with gas prices dropping. Um, just to use use a football analogy here, Biden's not the superstar, but he's the he's the facilitator. He makes the rest of the team work together in a way that I'm not sure any of the other potential Democrat alternative nominees could pull off. You know, coalition management is very important in today's uh, political environment. You see in in both parties you have these different factions and in order to be successful in winning elections and then pushing your agenda once you get in you have to unite the factions work with everyone um and it, it takes a certain kind of of uh, figure of quarterback so to speak uh to pull that off
0: yeah so you know my one question on that though is whether biden's purpose still remains because you know he was nominated solely to get trump out of office they didn't even care really whether he was a progressive or moderate it was just can he remove trump and yes he could so they nominated him because of that and so now that trump has been removed you know it doesn't make it so that biden isn't really needed to be there anymore now they can really go out and democrats can really nominate a progressive and replace him you know
1: but Zane, I I just, I mean, assuming, and this is not really an assumption, this for those that are in the political loop, we've been hearing this for a while, Trump will make his expected reemergence into national politics, um, potentially after the after the midterms, but definitely in the lead up to 2024. And then you can just make a strong argument that Biden can still unite his party under the banner of anti-Trump, just like he did in 2020.
0: Yeah, and you know, um, I don't disagree with you there. I I just want to throw one take out there is that I think if Biden were to uh, not be the nominee, my personal guess is I think it would end up being Gavin Newsom. And the reason for that is I think if it's not Biden, I don't think it can be Harris either because she will be tied to him. So if for some reason, Biden's too toxic to become the nominee. Then Harris is going to be. Just as toxified, she says V. So, I don't see it being um, one or the other. There, I think if one one of them goes down, both of them will go down because they're tied together. And I think that that would leave Newsom as the next most viable option because he clearly has his eyes on president on the presidency. And I think he, he, if he saw a real viable path, I think he would jump at it. And I think he's a better candidate than any other option the Democrats have right now. And we'll get into that all probably you know, after this midterm on who's viable, who's not, but I'll just leave it at that. That would be my dark horse candidate for now.
1: Yeah. And I just, I don't know. I think that throws the baby out with the bathwater, right? If Democrats make a complete pivot from Biden and Harris, that's them admitting that their entire direction as a party over the last four years was flawed. Um, So basically you're making such a hard pivot away from everything you've been as a political party that it just it i i don't know how much success you can have immediately after that um it seems like just a a direction that doesn't make a lot of sense
0: yeah yeah no i can i can see where you're coming from there yeah so um anyway you know um just to wrap this whole thing up um you know back over to the midterms you know um Let's talk about what each of us thinks is our biggest surprise take of the midterm, or otherwise known as a hot take. So, um, I'll lead on this. And so, my biggest uh, hot take, I would say, uh, that I I think will happen, that I think's probably an unpopular opinion to most people, is I think Mastriano, who's the Republican nominee for governor in Pennsylvania. I think he's going to outperform uh, Dr. Oz, who's the Senate nominee. And, you know, real quick off the bat, we've seen this happen in recent history where I would liken this to the Florida 2018 situation where Ron DeSantis was running with Rick Scott. And all eyes were on Rick Scott. It was always a question of whether... Uh, DeSantis could win while Rick Scott would win. So a lot of people thought that you know Rick Scott was going to win he just more of a commodity. He was a more well-known name, had a lot more money. But a lot of people thought DeSantis wouldn't be able to keep up with him, and there was going to be a split race in the end with uh, Gillum winning the governorship. But ironically, as we all know, DeSantis ended up actually outperforming Scott, and that – really shocked everyone and that's kind of what i think's gonna happen with mastriano and it's not because i think it's going to be just a clone of florida it's the reasoning is you know i think a lot of people are overlooking the fact that pennsylvania's had two straight democrat terms as governor whereas oz's seat that he's running for has been the gop hands since 2010 since Toomey took it from arlen specter so I think it's harder to keep holding a seat in the same party in a swing state like Pennsylvania for that long. So I actually think that since they've seen a Democrat governor there for quite a while in Pennsylvania now, I think they're ready for a shift because usually you don't see a swing state, unless it's Florida for some reason, you don't see a swing state hold the same party in governorship for you know year after year after year. So I think that actually that will help Mastriano a little bit. And I think Oz... And- Kind of has the opposite issue going against him there, that, so that's kind of my hot take I see coming. What do you think? Is is, is is Florida
1: really a swing state anymore? Let's be honest <laughs> with ourselves there. But uh, I'll just kind of I'll I'll, I'll kind of piggyback off your take there, uh, Zane. I I just in Pennsylvania I think we see John Fetterman the Democrat uh, win that Senate race, and I think he wins it by a comfortable margin. Uh, one of my favorite sayings in politics is perception is reality so when voters go to the ballot box to vote for a candidate they have they have this perception in their mind of of who they're voting for and what they what they see when they when they think of that candidate if someone's voting for donald trump for president that means when they look at donald trump they see a president that's that's how they envision him it's like when you hit a golf shot before you swing you envision where you want the ball to go and that's that's how you want your shot to turn out when push comes to shove Nobody looks at Dr. Oz and envisions him as a US senator. He just it, no no nobody sees him as a senator. And people look at John Fetterman, maybe moderate voters, blue-collar Republican, Trump, Trump uh 2016 types, will look at him, see his his persona that he's built up and feel like he he could be a more moderate option as opposed to this Dr. Oz uh figure that just n- nobody sees as a politician
0: yeah you know once again i'll add that if you're interested in seeing how pennsylvania senate and gubernatorial races are going to turn out you know go to our website ethlytics.com uh go to our twitter page if you need to just click the link and you can get all the data on that all of the demographic uh projections for voting uh polling adjustments that uh have you know that we've done for that race that will can and we update uh Pennsylvania and every other swing state around the clock all the time. Uh, So you don't have to wait on polls to come out that are usually not even that accurate anyway. So um, go ahead and check that out. And so for our next podcast, um, that'll kind of conclude this one. Um, Go ahead and leave, uh, you know, a comment on the link we're going to post for this on any of uh, our posts on uh, my account, uh, Matt's account, the Etholytics Twitter account. Go ahead and leave a comment if you want a question answered, and we'll uh, we'll take care of that in our uh, mailbag for our next podcast. We will 100% answer your question. And, uh, Matt, you got anything you want to add to that? Nope. I would just
1: encourage the folks to go over etholytics.com, check out all the great stuff we've got over there. And uh, until then, we'll be back in a couple more days uh, with the next show. Take it easy, folks.
0: Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.